All right, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. We survived the snow. You guys don't look very sick. That's good. It's great to have you here. Great to see you in the new year. Do you want to be very... <laughs> tripped over my words. I want to give a very special welcome uh, to those of you joining us at one of our Willow locations and also those of you joining us online. Great to have you with us as well. Uh, but we made it. 2022. Here we go. Uh, we're ready. Now, I love New Year's. I don't know about you, but there's something about a new year that it, it does give a fresh start. It does give a new beginning. It is almost like a built-in reset button that no matter what's happened, it, it allows us to, to look ahead to what could be or what's possible. And usually it's around this time of year that there are some of us that we like to make New Year's resolutions. But I find that there's really two groups of people. There's people who love to make New Year's resolutions and there's people who hate those who love to make New Year's resolutions, right? So just real quick, how many of you, you, you like to make New Year's resolutions? How many of you, the only New Year's resolution you will make is to not make New Year's resolutions? Okay, a few of you. So like, oh, probably 50-50. Now regardless if you like to make New Year's resolutions or not, I do find a little bit of comedy with people who become a little bit more cynical about resolutions this time of year. Uh, I... I, I Caught wind of a couple of things that were posted on Twitter over this past week, kind of poking fun of New Year's resolutions. Thought I would share a few of those with you. Uh, one person wrote this. They said, I can't believe it's been a whole year since I didn't become a better person. Uh, somebody wrote this. I was going to quit all my bad habits for the new year, but then I remembered that nobody likes a quitter. Uh, my favorite is this. Somebody said, my New Year's resolution is to help all my friends gain 10 pounds. That way I look slimmer. That's, that's one way to go about it. Now, now, whether you like to make New Year's resolutions or you don't like to make New Year's resolutions, either way, here's what I hope is true for all of us. I hope that, that, that God gives us a vision for what this next year could be. And maybe very specific and unique to you, specifically God gives you a vision for what he would love to see in and through your life in this next year. As I think about my own journey, this is a very reflective time of the year for me. I often look at different phases of my life or areas of my life, and I really think through where has God brought me over the past year, and what does God want to teach me, show me, challenge me, change me in this, this coming year. And so I really think through different areas of life. I think through, God, what would you have of me personally? What would you have of me professionally? God, what do you want from me spiritually and even financially? And I would encourage us, whether we like to make resolutions or not, would you pause in this season, be reflective of where we've been and where we're going, and potentially be brave enough to ask the question, God, what do you want from me in this next year? What does that look like personally? And maybe for some of us, it is about getting healthy or shedding a few pounds or deciding to run a 5K for the first time. Uh, maybe it's about getting some relationships right that feel broken or choosing to spend more one-on-one time with your kids. And maybe for others, God will compel you to adopt a child, become a foster parent. There could be a lot of different things, but if you were to pause and ask the question, God, what do you have for me personally? What would you want me to consider? And what does it look like professionally? Is there a new opportunity, something new on the horizon? Uh, is it about going back to school and get that degree that you put off for so long? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's taking that dream, that business dream that God planted in your heart a long time ago, but you've never had the courage to pull the trigger. And is this the year that God inspires you to actually pull the trigger? What does it look like spiritually? 
Is this the year that you choose to read through the, uh, the Bible in a year? Maybe it's a time to get involved in a small group. Maybe you once served and used your God-given gifts, but for whatever reason have become more disconnected over this past season. And this is the year to jump back in. Because you know the fulfillment that comes when we jump back in and serve on a team. But would you ask the question, God, what would you have for me spiritually this year and even financially? Is this the year to get out of debt or, or potentially uh, start saving for the kid's college? Or maybe uh, there's something he'll compel you to do that gives in a really difference-making way. Regardless if you like resolutions or not, would you pause long enough to ask the question, God, what is your vision for my life in 2022? I'm not just interested in my vision for my life. I'm not just interested in your vision for your life. I'm interested what is God's vision for our lives in the year 2022, because you guys know that vision is everything. Uh, when it comes to actual eyesight, my vision has never been good. Uh, I've worn glasses since I was two years old. Uh, I don't know how you figure out that a two-year-old's need glasses. I guess I was just running into walls. I'm not really sure what was happening at the time. Uh, but I've been to the eye doctor for really the past 40 plus years, and I went uh, just last week. And so it's a very familiar routine for me. I go, you know, again, I've been every year for 40 plus years, but this year was different. I had the moment. Last week, I'm sitting in the chair. The doctor goes through the whole routine that I've been through so many different times. And he looks at me and says, Sean, I think it's time for transition lenses. I said, Doc, you're not fooling anybody. You're telling me I need bifocals, Right? I'm like, I'm not ready to hear that I need bifocals, but I just can't see. But it was amazing. He showed me what life would be like. You know, he clicked those little dots. Life would be like if I had these transition lenses. It's amazing how much clarity there is to my life if I have the right type of vision. Uh, What's true about me is I need help from the outside in order to see clearly because I don't see clearly without it. But I think the same is true, not just for my vision and how I see through my eyes. I think it's true in my own life. I need help from the outside. God, I need your vision for my life. I need to be able to see where you're wanting to take my life. But I'm convinced of this. If we don't have a vision for the future, we'll likely just revert to our past. Does that make some sense? Like if we don't really have a clear vision of where we're going, we'll likely just do what we've always done. And yet there's likely some area or maybe some areas that God wants to change us, move us, compel us to likely something different. So what does that look like? But the vision has to come from God to truly be a compelling vision. And so as we think about our lives and we consider our lives and we consider what's ahead this year, I want to take us to a a place in the Bible that may be familiar to some of us. And maybe it may be new to others of us. I want to take us to the book of Nehemiah. And so if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Or if you'd like to follow along on the screen, you're welcome to do that. But if you know Nehemiah's story, you know this. Uh, Nehemiah grew up in exile. He was an Israelite. He was Jewish by ethnicity. Uh, but the, 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 uh, Israel had been conquered. Uh, first by the Assyrians, then by the Babylonians. What they often did is they, they took some of the, uh, the, most, the, the, the brightest, the best, the most influential people, and they sent them into exile. Now what's interesting about Nehemiah is he didn't actually grow up in Israel. His parents did. He had only known exile. He, he was born in exile, and now he lives in Persia. He actually works for the Persian king, but God gave him a vision. And the vision was so deeply planted in his heart that he heard about his ancestors. He heard about Jerusalem. He heard that it had been ransacked and ruined. He had been overthrown. And so the walls around the city had been torn down, that that so much had been burned. And he felt so 
compelled, this, this vision that God gave him to go restore what had been lost, what had been broken. And he prayed through it. He, he really discerned that it was not just his vision, it was God's vision for his life. And then he eventually got to the place that he got the courage to ask his boss, the king of Persia, permission to travel back to his homeland in order to live out this calling that God had given in his life. But what I love about Nehemiah is there's so many principles from his life that if we're willing to lean into his life, there's principles that we can apply to our own lives so that we too can be people who step into whatever the vision is that God gives us for what's ahead. And so we want to lean into Nehemiah's story. The first principle that we'll see in his life is simply this, that we got to be people that stop talking and start walking. I mean, that's true about Nehemiah. I'm sure there was a desire, sure that there was this inspiration, sure that there was this thing that he saw, but it wasn't just something that he talked about. It's something that he took action on. And so what's fascinating about Nehemiah is just after he asks the king permission in order to travel back to his homeland, this is literally the very next verse. Uh, We're in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. It says this, So I arrived in Jerusalem. Five words, jam-packed with meaning. Because what's interesting about this is where he was at in Persia to, the, to get to Jerusalem was about an 800-mile journey, which back in ancient times, he would have likely done that on foot. This was no small feat, right? And so when I say stop talking, start walking, he did a lot of walking, probably months of walking in order to get back. But it's, it's five words that's jam-packed with all kinds of things that had to, to, to go into making that possible. He would have to round up all kinds of supplies, a whole band of people to travel with him. He would have to avoid all kinds of bandits that he would have certainly encountered along the way. He would have had to dealt with the kids. He would be asking every five miles, are we there yet? Right? That that would have been his journey. It would have been a really, really tough journey. But what we see about Nehemiah is something that's a powerful principle. It's not just enough to want something different. It's a matter about making decisions that starts behaving something different, right? We have to set our action on a new course, set our action truly in a new direction. It was about stop talking. It was about start walking. Now, now what's interesting about Nehemiah, and I think it's true for you and I, that any time that we set out on some sort of new adventure, we kind of chart a new course, What it will require us to do is step away from everything that we know that is comfortable in order to embark on this new journey. Now, what's interesting about Nehemiah is, again, he was Israelite. He was a a Jewish person by his ethnicity, but he had only known Persia. It was the only place that he had known. That's where he grew up. I would go as far to say that's actually what would have been comfortable for him. He had a pretty decent job. He was a pretty decent gig working for the king. It's where all the people he knew would have been. And so to leave the place that he was at, to be a part of this new venture where God was sending him, would have required him to step out of his comfort zone. Now, in my life, there is nobody that I know that loves comfort more than my youngest son, Austin. My my son loves to be comfortable. Uh, Like, almost to the extreme. Uh, It was a couple of years ago when he was eight years old. Uh, we had him make out a Christmas list, and the number one item on his Christmas list was a purple mattress. What eight-year-old asks for a mattress for Christmas? My son does, right? 
because he loves to be comfortable. And if not a mattress, he wants a really nice, soft, heavy blanket. He wants a nice set of pajamas. If my son can find a job one day that allows him to wear pajamas to work, I mean, he's in, right? He, he loves to be comfortable. But here's the challenge for all of us who enjoy comfort. I, I enjoy it probably as much as anybody else, but here's the challenge. Growth and comfort often don't really go together. Growth and comfort are kind of like the bears and winning. They don't really go together, right? It's too easy this time of year, right? But they don't really go together. And so what's interesting about Nehemiah is he chose to leave the comfort and step into the growth because he knew that that's what have taken. So here's the truth. Whatever it is that God might be calling us to, whether, again, it's, it's, it's something related to our health or our finances, whether it's something professionally, whatever the new course that we're charting out in, it will cause us to have to leave behind that which is comfortable in order to step into what will require some growth. Years ago, I, I read a book by Andy Stanley that suggested this. He says it's our decisions not our intentions, not even our desires. It's, it's our decisions that will determine a direction in our life and the direction will ultimately lead us to our destination. Let me say that again. It's our decisions. It's our actual choices, our behaviors that determine a direction in our life and that direction will ultimately lead us to our destination if we're going to chart out whatever the new vision is that God is calling us to. We've got to be people like Nehemiah that stop talking and start walking. Desire's not good enough. It's actually the day-in, day-out decisions that allow us to chart a brand new course in life, to step into the vision that God has for us. Uh, but Nehemiah doesn't, doesn't stop there. Uh, here's what else we, we read uh, about Nehemiah. It says this, it says, Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans that God had put on my heart for Jerusalem. You know, so here's Nehemiah. He's now in Jerusalem. He goes out at night. I think it's fascinating that he does it in secret. And he goes and checks out the state of things. In other words, Nehemiah was willing to get his arms around the problem. He kind of has to define reality as far as where it's at. This is a hard part of the journey. A lot of times it's not just about discovering the vision of where we're headed. We have to deal with the reality of where we're at right now. Uh, You know, this is a hard part in the journey. It's the moment that you step on the scale to see what it really says. It's the moment to see how far you actually can run. It's the moment that you get all the bills out. I mean, like all of them, even the really scary ones, to define where are we really at. We've got to get our arms around the problem. Because if we don't know where we're at, we'll never be able to get where we're going. You know, it kind of reminds me of those, uh, remember when we used to go to malls? Like, I know, uh, you know, for young people, it's these, like, big buildings that, like, actual stores. I know that we don't shop there as much anymore, but do you remember, you know, when you used to walk into a mall, one of the first things you looked for was that directory, you know, that told you where all the different stores were, and the, if, especially if it's a place you'd never been. And what's interesting is you always had to find two spots on the map. You always had to, to, to determine whatever the store location is you're going to, and then you always had to look for the icon that says, you are here. Because it wasn't good enough just to know where you were going. If you didn't know where you were at, you could never chart the course to get there. And so what's fascinating about Nehemiah is not only did he have a vision for what God wanted him to, to do and, and where God wanted him to go, 
he also had to define reality of where we're at now. We'll never get where we're going until we're willing to define where we're at. Now let's be candid. This is a really tough part in the journey. And not only is it a tough part in the journey, typically it's actually tough for a little bit of a season. Uh, There's a book uh, not written not too long ago by Seth Godin. It was a book called The Dip. Uh, Maybe it was a a book that you've read or you're somewhat familiar with the book, but he talks about really the reality of change in those early phases. A lot of times right out of the gates, we're excited about the new change. We're excited about the new venture. We're excited about what's ahead. And then we hit what he calls the dip. I brought a, a graphic with me to kind of show you what Seth is describing. And what he says is what typically happens is we start off really, really strong, but then we hit the really, really hard spot. This is the place where most people quit. Because they're hitting the gym over and over again, and they're not losing the weight, they're just sore. Or they're choosing to stick to a budget, but it feels so constraining, and it doesn't feel free at all. This is the moment that you're taking all the online classes to pursue whatever that vocational dream is, but you're still having to work the full-time job at the same time. It's the incredibly challenging season. Most people never survive the dip. It gets too hard. It gets too difficult. It's easier to bow out. But the challenge is, for those who are willing to stick through it, to persevere, they'll discover that the best things in life are on the other side of difficulty. That many times, if you take the easy route in the short term, you experience hard things in the long term. But if you're willing to take the hard steps in the short term, it actually leads to incredible things in the long term. And what Nehemiah discovers is he's got quite a bit to do. I mean, it's a, it's a massive problem. All the walls are destroyed. So much in the city has been burned. It's a massive problem. But he gets his arms around the problem. I mean, he, he's somebody that, again, he, he stops talking, starts walking, gets his arms around the problem, but he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. Here's, here's what he does next. I, I would say what he does next is he simply recruits others Around him, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17 says this. He says, But now I said to them, You know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. The gates have been destroyed by fire. He's basically helping people see the problem that he sees. Look what he says next. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about the gracious hand of God has been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, Yes. Let's rebuild the wall so they began the good work. The brilliance of Nehemiah is he set out not only on his own, he knew that he was stepping into a vision that God gave him that he could not do it solely by himself. And part of his success was his ability to rally people around him that would help him become what he would have never been able to come on his own and do what he would have never been able to do on his own. The same is true for you and the same is true for me. I heard it was said long, long ago that show me your five closest friends and I will show you who you become. It is so incredibly true. And so as you think about whatever it is that's ahead of you, whatever it is that God is calling you to, whatever 2022 looks like the vision that God has given you, the question becomes who's around you? And will, who are, will the people who are around you help you step into this vision or will actually hinder you from accomplishing that because will they hold you back to your past? It's almost like this. Uh, if, if I felt compelled to you know, get fit, to go to the gym, 
Uh, and, and I were to do that alongside of somebody, I've got a higher likelihood of being successful of getting up early, you know, going to the gym and doing whatever we're doing in the gym, right? And, and the more that, that I'm doing that with somebody, the more that there's accountability, there's momentum, there's, there's synergy that happens in that relationship and there's movement toward whatever that thing is that, that I'm trying to do. However, if my buddy who wants committed to do this, if they decide that instead of going to the gym, they're going to sit on their couch and, and eat a Big Mac— and they're going to do that day after day, I have a smaller chance of success getting up on my own every single day and doing the grind on my own. It's possible. It's just way more inspiring, helpful, encouraging, motivating if there's a whole group of people who are committed to that with me. And so whatever it is that you feel called to do or compelled to do, would you be as, as, as bold as to share that with people around you? And would you surround yourself with people who are the people who can help you become what you could never become on your own? Help you step into what God is desiring for you to step into. I promise as you chart a new course, it will require courage, encouragement, it will require people who are willing to hold you up when you're feeling down. It will require, when you feel somewhat defeated, people who can breathe new life in you. Don't go at it alone. Show me your five closest friends, and I will show you who you're going to become. Whatever the vision is that God has given you, again, if you don't have a vision for the future, you'll likely just revert to your past. And so become people that, that, that stop talking, start walking. Uh, become people who are willing to face the hard facts and get your arms around the problem, but in doing so, surround yourself with people who can help you get there. And as you do so, here's the last principle that we draw from Nehemiah's life. is simply this, that we become people who trust God with the obstacles. Trust God with the obstacles. Here's what it says in verse 19. It says, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. I can't even say that word. He says, What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They asked. I replied, The God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding the wall. But you have no share, no legal right, nor historic claim in Jerusalem. What's fascinating about Nehemiah's journey is it starts so strong. The vision's so clear. The king gives him permission. He journeys back to Jerusalem. He sees the problem. He rallies a whole team of people. There's momentum that is starting to build in Nehemiah's life. And then wah, wah, wah. Here come the adversaries. Here come the people who say it can't be done or it shouldn't be done. Here comes the criticism, and I promise you this. Whatever the new thing is that you feel called and compelled to do, whatever the vision that God has given you, I promise there will be people who don't believe in it nor believe in you. I promise that you'll run up against obstacles, challenges, criticisms. You will have a myriad of reasons of why you could and should quit, right? And that's why it's so important to have a very deep conviction of the why, that it truly is a vision from God and not just for myself. That it really is something that God is, is compelling me to do, right? Because no doubt I will face headwinds, I will face adversaries, I will face criticism. It is inevitable when you chart out any new course in life. But here's the beauty. There have been a lot of great, great people who've, told, who've been told that they would never make it. 
Uh, you think about the obstacles that have been overcome by some pretty iconic types of people. I uh, saw a graphic a, a, a while ago that kind of uh, listed off some of these. I'll, I'll share them with you. Uh, Albert Einstein was told by a teacher that he would never amount to anything. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. Walt Disney was fired from his first job because of his lack of creativity, his inability to generate new ideas. Steve Jobs, he was fired from the very company that you founded in Apple. Oprah Winfrey was told that, that she would never really make it on television, that it was, it was really not something for her. She had no business in TV. Uh, the Beatles, the Beatles were told that nobody would really like their music. Uh, that, that they would not do well in the, in the industry. And again, we could go on and on with the stories. That, that The truth is that any time you chart a new direction, there will be people who will tell you that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not going to make it. There will be criticism that will come your way. It certainly faced Nehemiah. What I love about Nehemiah's response it was a response that ultimately trusted in God. His faith was so deep in God. Notice what he said. He said, it's the God of the heavens. He will provide our success. That Nehemiah's success didn't even hinge on his own shoulders, on his own ability. That if he just believed, if it was a vision from God, God would be the one who would see him through. Even if he failed somewhere along the way. The truth is, with anything worth anything, it requires grit, it requires perseverance, it requires overcoming obstacles, and that's actually part of what God desires to do in us, in the actual process, in the actual journey. I mean, if you think about it this way, uh, typically when people are just handed things, it actually doesn't go well, because when you're handed things, you don't know how to handle the things, but when you're not handed things, when you actually have to persevere through something, when you actually have to overcome something, when you actually have to fail a couple different times and get back up, when you get back up, you take the new start with new smarts. There's something actually by the setbacks become a setup to a comeback. That is actually through the obstacles that God does some of his greatest work in our lives and in our journey. And so the question becomes, when the going gets tough in 2022, and I promise you, there are going to be moments where the going gets tough in 2022. When those moments happen, where's your trust? The trust can't be in the circumstances. The trust can't exclusively be in the people around you, although the people around you matter. Your trust has to be anchored, grounded in the God of the heavens that will see you through. My prayer more than anything for 2022, I pray that some of the visions and dreams that God give, has given you will come to fruition in this year. I pray that you get to experience his goodness and his faithfulness in so many ways. But no matter what happens, I pray that this year you will allow God to draw nearer. I pray that your trust grows to levels that you've never experienced before. I pray that at the end of the year, you'll find yourself more dependent on him for every single day. 
that it's actually in the challenge, in the turmoil, in the obstacle, that it anchors and grounds your faith. I find this true. That we're ultimately called to the fight, but God's the one that actually provides the victory. That we're actually not fully in control. We have some control of some things, and we need to work hard. We need to be diligent. We need to do the things that we're responsible for. But ultimately, the results are in God's department. And ultimately, God will do what God will do as he ultimately sees us through. If you don't have a vision for your future, you'll likely just revert to your past. And so let's be people in this coming year that stop talking and start walking. Let's be people who are willing to take the hard steps and get our arms around the problem. Let's be willing to recruit others and surround ourselves with life-giving people that help us go toward our next steps. But let's ultimately trust God that God will be a God who helps us overcome the obstacles to step into the dreams that he's given us. Let's pray together. Uh, God, we're grateful for you. And God, we thank you for a a new year that gives us a new start, a new beginning And God, I'm grateful for Nehemiah's life. Uh, What a powerful template of what it looks like to step into something new. And God, whatever the new is for us, whether we step into a new health journey, whether we're committing to get out of debt, whether we feel compelled or called by you to adopt a child or become a foster parent, God, whatever you're calling us to step into, would you give us the courage To not just talk about it, but really to take steps to do it. Father, in doing so, I just ask you to do a great work in us. You'd help us trust more. You'd help us grow more. You'd help us become more faith-filled in you. That God, you're the God of the heavens who will ultimately see us through. God, we say thanks for this new year. We just ask you to bless it. In Jesus' name. Amen.